Welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. So today we're talking about margin in terms of not our time, but our energy. And to get us thinking about this direction, a couple questions as we get started. Number one, how many of you have cell phones? Cell phones? All right. Almost everyone who's above the age of 13. Sounds about right. Uh, Let me ask you with your cell phone, when do you start feeling nervous and like, I need to plug my phone in? What percentage? So how many of you, 10% or less, you're like, oh, now I need to plug my phone in. 10% or less. Okay, how many of you, 10 to 20%, that's when you're like, once it goes below 20%, you're like, oh, I need to plug my phone in. All right, anyone like way over at 30 or 40%, you're like 30, 40%, yeah, okay, I want to keep it that. Okay, I see how it is, yeah. All right, (laughs) what's interesting about that and what we're talking about this series is that margin is one of those things, and again, margin is just what is extra, right? You have your capacity and your commitments, and we want some breathing room between those two. Or in terms of energy, like we're talking about today, right? You have the energy available and then the requirements of life and the energy expenditures that life will require. And ideally, you have a little bit of space between those things. And what's interesting to me is that we just totally get this. It's so obvious to us in other areas. Like last week, I told you about running out of gas in my car, right? All of us know just intuitively, it's good to live with margin in your gas tank. You want a little bit of extra. Of course, right? And yet, what's so intuitive with our cell phones too, right? I don't know many people who are like, no, I get to 0% and then I plug it in. Like, no, not many people do that. Some people do. You're weird. Uh, (laughs) But we love you, and there's a place for you here at Creekside. No, but not many people work that way, right? You, you have margin in the, your cell phone battery energy. And the whole point of the series is to realize that's how we should live in other areas of our life as well. So quick review. Uh, if you are here last Sunday, you know this. If not, uh, some catch-up. Margin, again, is the difference between what is available and what is required. And rather than living with no margin... Uh, we believe the invitation of Jesus is to live with a little bit available, a little bit extra. And the guiding question for this whole series last week and today and the next couple of weeks is, wouldn't you rather get to choose what to do with a little bit of extra than try to run on fumes than try and make life work running on empty? Or like we talked about last week, than trying to steal from other commitments. Wouldn't you rather get to choose what to do with a little bit extra And one of the inspirations for the series is uh, John 10, 10, where Jesus said, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Abundant life is what Jesus came to bring us. And that abundant life, we believe, starts now and lasts forever. 
And so this abundant, overflowing kind of life that Jesus has for us, I'm just struck by the fact that I feel like some of the times I don't live that abundant life. I live a tired life, a haggard life. And I just think that God, through Jesus, wants to show us a better way. So today we're talking about margin in terms of energy. And I love the photo I found for today because it's someone resting and there's a lake in the background, but they're holding this cup of coffee. You get it, right? Like that. Uh, but we're talking about rest and energy and having margin in this area of our lives. And so we're actually going to break this into two parts today. We're talking about, okay, margin again, what's available, what's required. And there's two ways you can actually create margin in your life, if you think about it. You can decrease the requirements or you can increase what's available. Now, we didn't talk about this one last week because in terms of time, you can't really do that. You get 24 hours a day, sorry. You don't get any more available. But actually, in terms of energy, there's certain things we can do that we should consider that it can actually increase the amount of energy we have available. And so how do we create margin? Let's talk about decreasing what's required. And this brings us to the the biblical category of wisdom. Wisdom is basically the street smarts when it comes to life. If you've ever heard there's certain phrases, you know, like measure twice, cut once, right? That's wisdom. It's not academic knowledge. It's like life skill knowledge. And a piece of wisdom that comes to us from the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, By the way, we're going to spend this next coming summer working our way through Ecclesiastes. I'm really excited about it. Probably because it's a really cynical book. So it's kind of fun and interesting. Uh, But there's a piece of wisdom that's found right in the middle of this book. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10.10 says this. It says, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen its edge then one must exert more strength. However, the advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. So you see what they're picturing here, right? You're cutting down a tree, you're chopping wood. While you do that, the axe edge is getting more and more dull with use, right? And eventually you're faced with a choice. Do I stop expending energy trying to chop down this tree? Do I pause that energy expenditure and instead spend some energy expenditure sharpening the axe. Right? Do you see the picture? And wisdom is about knowing when the wise time, when the right time is to do that. When the best time is to stop chopping, start sharpening, so that you can go back and chop. And ultimately, you will expend less energy overall if you do that than if you just keep going. Don't stop. We got to get this tree down, right? Do you see the wisdom that they're talking about here? So this is talking about, if you think about it, what this proverb is getting at is that there's certain things, right? What's true of chopping down trees is actually true in other areas of life. But there's this biblical principle of being wise in how you expend your energy. And that if you're wise in how you can expend your energy, you can actually get away with expending less energy, but doing the same amount of work. The tree still gets knocked down, but it takes less overall energy if you pause and sharpen the axe. Does that make sense? You following along? So I want to talk for a minute about some, some practical ways we can actually do this. Now, they're, they're, these are not biblically based necessarily, but I think they're true. And um, 
partly because of my personality, I love reading like self-help books and things like that. So that some of these are coming from those kinds of sources. But I really think all of these are kind of this principle of working smarter, but not harder. harder. Yeah. So number one, uh, being single-minded in your focus. Single-minded in your focus. It's interesting. This actually came up in our connection group conversation this morning that uh, multitasking is not a great way to go. In fact, more and more studies are coming out saying multitasking is really a myth. Humans can't actually do more than one thing at one time. What we can do is we can switch back and forth. But the thing is, whenever you switch tasks, there's a little bit of a cost in terms of time and energy. Now, some of you teens do not believe me right now because you are so good at multitasking. And I did not used to believe this. I thought I was really good at multitasking. So I understand. Uh, here's just a little test. Okay, we're going we're gonna to do the same task two different times. And we're going to do one first time with single-minded focus. And then we're going to try multitask. And I think you'll see how this works. Okay? So first task, I want you to say the ABCs as fast as you can. Ready, set, go in your head or out loud. Go ahead. C, D, E, F, G, H, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Okay. How long did that take you? Probably like 2.4 seconds or something like that, right? All right, now count, count from 1 to 26, right? Ready, set, go. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 25, 26. Okay. How long did that take you? Probably about the same, right? So well, what we just did is we did our ABCs and we counted. And we had single-minded focus on each of those. Now I want you to try one more thing. Try multitasking, okay? Here's what you're going to do. A1, B2, C3, D4. Raise that go. I can't finish it. I'm not that smart. Do you see what's going on? And, and when you do that, it becomes very clear. You're trying to switch, right? A, one, B, right? You're switching. And compare not just how much longer that takes, but how much more energy that takes to try and do. That principle is true. And you can do the research. Check psychology on me. This has just been proven true, that that's true in all of our life. And so if you want to create margin in terms of energy, you want to have some extra available, stop trying to multitask. Okay? Have single-minded focus on one thing at one time, and actually, you will have to spend less energy doing that thing overall. The second point is actually related to this. Uh, this is something Janelle brought up when I was telling her what I was preaching about. And I was like, Janelle, do you have any like, ideas in your mind about decreasing energy requirements? And so she was like, yeah. When you cook dinner, just cook twice as much and freeze half of the leftovers. It's like, that's a great idea. Uh, this is an idea maybe you've heard in other contexts. It's called batching, right? You, you do more at once, and it's actually just an extension of what we just talked about, right? If, if it's better to focus on one task at one time, it's also better to do more of that task at once at one time, right? This is why, again, we know this in certain areas and just don't practice it in others, right? Do you drink out of a coffee mug and then go and wash it? Or do you put it next to the sink? <laughs> oh, maybe some of you are okay. Hey, let's not group. <laughs> what we do is we have a big pile of dishes and then we do them all at once. Um, 
you do, you group similar tasks together. Or you try and figure out ways where you can do just a little more now, right? Making twice as much dinner does not take twice as much time, does it? You can make twice as much dinner today, freeze half, and then someday, tomorrow, the next day, like you have dinner ready to go. And there's ways we can do this in our work, in our life, in our personal life. So consider ways that you could do a little more now so that you can do a little less later. And finally, this is a a nerdy one. Uh, Daniel Pink wrote a book called When a few years ago. And his whole principle is like timing is everything when it comes to work and when we work and how we work and what we do. Um, And so he talks about a lot of different things. I just want to give you one insight from that book that has changed how I work and do uh, my tasks. And part of the point of that book is to, to do what is most important when you're at your best. Your most important, your most crucial work you should do when you're at your best, if you can. Uh, some of you, you just have schedules that you don't get to decide. I get that. But if you get to have any kind of say-so, uh, you should consider this. Most people are more analytical in the morning and more imaginative in the evening. So you can think about analytical work, imaginative work, and try and match that to that time. If you're a morning person, like that, those first few hours are really important. And also, by the way, most people are useless in the middle of the day. <laughs> That's actually when the most car accidents happen, between 1 and 3 p.m., more car accidents than any other time. Uh, so if you have really important work to do, do not do it between 1 and 3 p.m., right? Like, do it in the morning, do it in the evening, and you'll be able to do a better job at it and get it done more quickly. Uh, actually, when our staffing changed a couple years ago and I was able to step into the senior pastor position, one of the first things I changed was our Monday morning staff meeting time. <laughs> I pushed it back by an hour. Like, we're not doing this at 9, we're going to do this at 10 because I want my morning time to work on my message for the upcoming week. That's really important work, and I want to give my best attention and best focus to the sermon prep. Do your most important work when you're at your best. So again, what we're talking about, we're talking about having margin in terms of energy, not just time. And margin is, the definition of margin is the difference between what is available and what is required. So all the things we just talked about are talking about lowering what's required, okay? That's what we talked about. So Going back to that cell phone analogy, if your battery starts running low and you don't have a charger on hand, what can you do? You can use it less, right? You can put it on lower power mode and only use it for emergencies, right? That's kind of, in essence, what we're talking about, decreasing the energy requirements. Now, let's talk about the opposite end, and this one I think is more exciting, is to increase what is available, Increase what is available. Here's a famous verse from Jesus that many of you have heard and known. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I want to teach you a few things about these verses in a moment. But first, let's just sit together and receive this promise from Jesus. Because it's good news, because I know so many of you are weary or burdened. 
Would you come to Jesus and get rest from him? Take his yoke upon you and learn from him because he is lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's good news for us today, all of us. When I first encountered these verses, I kind of had this simplistic like, I can come to Jesus and then there will be nothing to carry. I don't know where I got that impression from because that's not what Jesus says. He says, take my yoke upon you. Uh, so a little quick education about a first century yoke. Uh, first century ones didn't look exactly like this, but um, this is a yoke, right? You'd have a pair of oxen to plow your fields and you would yoke them together. You'd have a bar that kind of had these little U-shapes to rest above the necks of the animals and yoke them together. In uh, interesting background, oftentimes when you were training a young oxen, you would intentionally yoke it with an old, older experienced ox. And so you would take the young and inexperienced ox, who had a lot of potential but didn't know how to pull yet, yoke it with an older experienced ox, and that older experienced ox would take the brunt of the labor, but also help the younger ox with the pacing. If left to its own devices, the young ox would just wear itself out really fast, pull too hard. The older ox would train, in essence, the young ox about how to respond to the farmer's directions and plowing. This is what Jesus is saying. Take my yoke upon you. Let me walk with you and pull alongside you and lead you. Let me show you how to do life at my pace. And I'm going to pull with you. It's a beautiful image, I think. So again, the point is that the yoke of Jesus is not easy because there's no work involved. It's easy because he says, I want to walk with you. I want to strengthen you. I want to guide you. I want to show you the way to live. Now, one other piece of background uh, that I didn't know until a few years ago is that when Jesus said, you know, take my yoke upon you, the, the people listening to Jesus at that time and place would have known exactly what he meant. Because in the first century, rabbis, teachers of the law who would travel along, around, their kind of collected teachings and their, their way of living out the Old Testament law was called their yoke. So a rabbi's set of teachings for how to live out the Torah was called their yoke. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he is saying, I am living out in my life the right way to live out God's word. So look at how I live my life and live your life the same way. Listen to my teaching as I explain how to follow the law of what the heart of it was really about. Listen to my teaching and then apply it to your life. I'm going to show you the right way to live this out. So uh, rabbis collected teachings and how to live out the law was referred to as their yoke. So again, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, take my way of life and make it your way of life. And the promise is that you're not going to be on your own doing this, but that Jesus himself will pull with you. And so what does this mean as far as energy? 
Imagine an ox pulling by itself versus two oxen yoked together. There's a big difference there, isn't it? And the encouragement and the invitation from Jesus is to live his way of life and with him at the center of our lives. And as we do that, actually we find there's more than we thought possible because he's with us, strengthening us and leading us. So let's look at Jesus' way of life. Now, obviously we can't in one message look at everything. So I'm just gonna highlight one of the things that Jesus embodied in his own life. Luke 5, 16 says, yet Jesus often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. How often? Often. We don't know. The sense is that this is continuous or it's, it's, it's marked, right? Like this struck the gospel writer Luke about Jesus' life. Jesus did this enough that it was abnormal and noticeable. Jesus often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. What Jesus reveals to us about the right way to live is it's a life lived connected to our heavenly father. And when you look at how Jesus lived, it's very clear that this connection with his heavenly father is what fueled him throughout the day. You can tell through his interactions that he would often listen for his father's voice. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? But I think it all started in these times of getting alone with the father. And so last week I reminded you, or I I challenged you last week in terms of time to make time for God, to set aside just even five minutes every day to just be with Jesus. And I want to encourage you if life got crazy and that didn't happen, to, to do that to have some daily time with God. And I know that's something many of you already do. It's already part of your life. And I want to encourage you to keep going. And I want to give you a way of thinking about what's happening in that time. Here's what's happening in that time or should be happening. Is that every single day you should have some moments where you sit with Jesus and you put on the yoke. This is time to, to harness up, right? Jesus, I know you have work for me to do today. I don't want to do that on my own strength today. I want to let you lead the way. You set the pace today. And it's really good just to have some set-aside time to get in that mindset, right? To make that your day and your heart for God. So I just want to encourage you, challenge you, keep going with that time with God. Make time like Jesus did to connect regularly with our Heavenly Father orient yourself to Jesus today. This is how we get in the yoke, how we put on that yoke every day. Now, I'm going to be honest. There's all kinds of other things I felt like I could talk about. I thought about talking about sleep, (laughs) the importance of rest, because I know many of you like me, right? When you have too many commitments, what gives is often our rest. But I want to talk about a different aspect of rest, and that's the principle of uh, Sabbath. So first of all, where does this idea of Sabbath come from? It's actually a Hebrew word that means to stop. The weekly practice of stopping or ceasing. It comes from the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 records all ten of the original commandments. And here is commandment number four. God says through Moses, he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor or to work six days and do all your work. But the seventh day 
It is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. But then notice this. It doesn't just say, here's the command, and then go on and give another command. It roots this command in actually how God created the world. Why should you practice the Sabbath? Because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. And then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. And the point is that this idea of resting, working for six days, resting on the seventh day, working for six, resting on the seventh, is actually rooted in this rhythm and the way God made the world to work. It's a revelation about God's design. And that's why actually when you read through the rest of scripture, it actually comes up other places too. It's not just about one day and seven. It gets expanded in other ways as well because this is just a principle about how the world works best. So this is from Leviticus. And here's some verses I want to actually hone in on and then work some principles out of because what you'll see is this idea of Sabbath became almost a principle for understanding how the world works and how we are supposed to work. So it says, the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai and God said, speak to the Israelites and tell them when you enter the land I'm giving you, the land will observe a Sabbath to the Lord. Not just you, like the land needs rest too. You may sow your field for six years and you may prune your vineyard and gather its produce for six years, but there will be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land in the seventh year. A Sabbath to the Lord. You're not to sow your field or prune your vineyard. You're not to reap what grows by itself from your crop or harvest the grapes of your untended mines. It is to be a year of complete rest for the land. Whatever the land produces during the Sabbath year can be food for yourself. Right? So even though you're not planting, stuff still is still going to grow. And you can, you can harvest that to eat. Right? That can still be food for yourself, your male or female slave, and the hired worker or alien who resides with you. All of its growth may serve as food for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. And they would have been wondering, and maybe you're wondering, the math doesn't work, God, like we won't have enough. And so God tells them, if you wonder, what will we eat in the seventh year if we don't sow or gather our produce? God says, I will appoint my blessing for you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow... In the eighth year, all right, so are you following along, right? Sixth year, that's the last year for planting, the work of planting, okay? It says, I will cause so much produce in that sixth year that you're able to live on it in the seventh year and have some to plant in the eighth year. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating from the previous harvest. You will be eating this until the ninth year when its harvest comes in. And this sounds crazy to us, but I think, number one, it's an act of trust and faith in God's provision to practice something like this. But also, number two, I think it is the way God made the world work. That somehow God made it work so that if you take one day off a week, 
And instead of using that energy on that day for working, you use it for resting well, which we'll talk about in a moment, that you will actually have so much more energy the other six days that it will make up for that seventh day. Another way to say it, so that God can do more in six days than you can do by yourself in seven. I believe the Sabbath is a gift to be enjoyed and an act in trust uh, in God's provision. This is something, uh, if you've been attending Creekside for a while, you've heard me speak about before. And it's just because of the way God's worked in my own life and my own story. Uh, my final year of my Master's of Divinity degree at Denver Seminary, um, I was really busy working a lot at the church. Um, and it was my final semester, so I was taking a heavier load just to get through things and get things done. And I did not choose this, but I felt God directing me that he wanted me to start practicing Sabbath. I was like, that's a great idea, God. How about next year? <laughs> but I felt him kind of just nudging me, like, this is something you need in your life. So I was like, <sighs> and if you don't know me, grades are important to me. Getting A's, I don't know why. That's really important to me when I was in school. And I just had this, like, if I do this, I'm probably not going to get A's. <laughs> like, there's not enough hours and time to get everything done. He's like, well, well, you trust me. And there was a number of times where I was like, that paper needs a good few more hours, but it's Sabbath day. I guess it's done. <laughs> And you know what? And this is not a guarantee at all, but for me, I still got A's somehow. I don't know how God worked out that grading. If he messed with the electronics behind the scenes in some way. <laughs> but it was both of these things at once for me. It was this personal act of trust every single week. Of, again, God saying, will you trust me? It's like, Yes. <laughs> And then, but also like the goodness of this day of rest and um, just how experiencing the goodness that that can be and have. And so that's why I get passionate about this because I've seen it's a gift to be enjoyed. And so people say, do you have to practice a Sabbath if you're a Christian? My answer is always the same. No, you get to. Uh, like, no, you do not have to. We're not bound by the law and legalistically following it. But I do believe that this is the way God created the world to work. So you don't have to go in line with this, but you're doing so when you don't do it this way. You're going against the way God designed the world to work and you to work as a person. I heard about a survey that was looking at longevity of different religious groups. And they found that by and large, on average, right, this is average, not every single person, but on average, there's one Christian group that has the longest lifespan. Do you know what it is? Yeah, Seventh-day Adventists. Now, I think they're a little too legalistic about practicing the Sabbath, but isn't it remarkable? And you hear that in the name. If you're not familiar, there's a lot of distinctives of Seventh-day Adventists, but one of the distinctives is they are very adamant about practicing a weekly Sabbath. No work on the Sabbath, on the seventh day. And they tend to have longer lives. Huh, why is that? Maybe because that's part of how we were designed to live. So my last point, if this is something that God's leading you towards, practicing a Sabbath, 
or if you just need more times of resting well in daily life, my final challenge is this, to make time for rejuvenation, not just distraction. This is something uh, I've had to learn the hard way. When I first started practicing Sabbath, I was like, great, a day to watch TV. And sometimes I get to the end of the day, I'm like, I don't feel very rested. What's going on? And I've slowly learned the hard way that there are certain things that sound good and sound relaxing. It might even be relaxing, but are not actually rejuvenating. There's a difference between distraction and entertainment and rest and rejuvenation. And I know we're all wired differently. And so your answer for what what fits into those categories might be different. But I have found as a general rule that truly rejuvenating restful things actually require some input of energy. So like just to throw out some examples there, like um, making something with your hands. So if you're into carpentry, like doing a little project, I have found is much more rejuvenating than watching TV or a movie or going on a hike or a walk in nature. That takes energy, but you will find at the end of that, your energy levels are higher than if you just stayed back and played video games for an hour. And again, maybe you're like, no, you don't know me. You might work differently. I would just encourage you to try a simple experiment. Like if there's something in your life, you're like, this sounds good. This is probably a good thing for me to do on my Sabbath or just as a time of rest. Just do a simple like energy audit. What I mean is before you do whatever activity, consider like scale of one to 10, what's your energy level? Maybe it's a five. Okay, great. Now do whatever activity that you want to do and then rate it again. I just know for me, like, oh, video games. That's what I need. I need to play some Zelda Breath of the Wild. (laughs) But if I am honest about myself and rate my energy before and after, I'm either the same or a little lower. But if I exercise, strangely enough, which takes a lot of energy, I can go from a five to a six. I don't know how that works, but there's certain things that when you put energy in, you actually get more out in the end. So I would encourage you, um, if you practice a Sabbath or just for times when you want to relax and rest because you're so tired, to consider things that are actually rejuvenating, not just relaxing, making sure you're actually being recharged, not just not using the phone. So let's review. Okay. We want to live with margin in terms of our energy. The two ways to create margin in our lives is to decrease what's required or increase what's available. Now, ultimately, of course, we want to in some sense, to do both. We want to live wisely. That's what we talked about first. Those things like, you know, batching tasks and being single-minded in our focus. But more importantly, we want to walk with Jesus. We want him to lead us and set the pace for our lives. And so we want to make sure that every day we're putting on that yoke and we're letting him lead us. Because when we do that, we will live with this easy and light yoke from our master and we will find that there's more available. And finally, if you want to increase what's available, 
I want to encourage you to consider a weekly Sabbath. It takes a lot of energy the rest of the week to make that happen. But I believe and I've experienced myself, you will get more out than you put in to make that happen. And the point is this. We want to accept Jesus' invitation to take his yoke upon us. We want to be a church, an individual people, we're saying yes to that easy and light yoke, light yoke, not frantically trying to do things on our own, expending energy, wearing ourselves out. So if you're tired, would you accept Jesus' invitation today? Would you walk with him, put his yoke on, and then listen for his voice throughout the day, follow his pacing, let him lead we want to be church and people that aren't marked by tiredness and haggardness, but vitality and life. That's why um, one of our, 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 we have one aspirational value as a church. One thing that we said, this is something that's not true yet, but we really want to be true of us, is that we want to be marked with overflowing hearts. We want to be increasingly the, a church that embodies this overflowing life not digging up from the empty barrel of our own energy. So this is what it takes. We need to walk with Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll spend some time responding in song. Um, But as we prepare for this time, the challenge every week is not to try and do everything and then give up because it's too much, but to prayerfully in this time consider, Jesus, what do you want me to do in response to your word? And maybe just pick one thing that we've talked about today. Jesus, what do you want me to do? This is your time to respond to him and to also, in line with what we've been talking about, spend a few minutes of just being with him. So worship team, I want to invite you to come on back up and lead us in song. Um, And for all of us, this is our opportunity to be with Jesus and to respond to him. And if there's something special you would like prayer for, Our prayer team will be in the back, and uh, I know Gracie was going to be back there as well since Susan's up here today. And um, let's respond together, honestly and openly to our Lord. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for your invitation to take on an easy, light yoke, to receive rest from you. I pray we would accept that invitation that we wouldn't insist on pulling our own way and going our own way, would you help us to submit to you? And every day and even every moment of every day, to, to be willing to put on that yoke and to follow your lead. Would you help us respond to you now honestly and openly? In your name we pray, amen.